Our passage today is uh, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. If you have a Bible near you or um, somewhere in your house, I, I ask you, you will get it now. I, I want to say before I go into this, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's hard to prep a message. Sometimes it feels impossible. This, uh, yesterday and this past week have been really difficult, and I really felt it yesterday. I, looking back after receiving some prayer from people, I really believe it was, oh, just the enemy at work trying to keep me from sharing some of the things in this passage that are really important. I'm actually, I'll be honest with you, like quite surprised I, I was able to get this done. Uh, but thank you for those of you who prayed. Uh, and thanks to my wife for sticking by my side through this. Uh, so you can always appreciate that, having someone who's really patient, uh, who listens to you when you're freaking out, right? Um, you know, um, uh, uh, one of the plus sides uh, there, I, I hope there are many for you from the COVID lockdown. Um, I'm sure if you have little kids, your experience is much different. I have a staff who has five. Uh, he doesn't have much good to say about this past year. It's been very hard on him and his wife. Um, but on the other hand, um, there are a lot of good things. I was I was prepping a video uh, to invite staff, my university staff in my four-state region, uh, to some retreats that we're going to do to reflect on this past year uh, to grieve and lament what was lost, and also to thank God for the good things that were that they can hap- that have happened, just to rejoice in in Him for the benefits they've received. I, because I find most people haven't really done that. They can tell you everything that's wrong, but they can't really tell you the good things that God's done. Um, and um, so my my staff who was working with me on this, she said to me, "Look, Peter, I I'm happy to help you do this, but I, there's one thing I don't want to do. I don't want to focus." on how bad it was. She said, everybody does that and everybody already knows. And that's true, right? If you hear anybody talk about it, they talk about all the bad things. But how many people talk about the good, the good things that have happened? I mean, the bad things are are really clear, but are the good things there as well? Are they just subtle or are we just not, you know, looking for them or recognizing where God is at work? Let me, let me share a couple of things in my life that I've appreciated. And maybe you can think about this yourself. Um, I've appreciated not having to travel for work. I probably have two weeks or more that I would have been gone uh, for travel from home and meetings that would have taken three to four days at a time. They take four to six hours a day now. I, I wake up in my own bed and I can spend time with my family every day. Um, and uh, I appreciate um, all that I've learned. I mean, looking back at this past year as I looked at the ministry we couldn't do. I began to realize what we were doing that was just filling up time. It wasn't really helpful. And the things that we were doing that were life-giving. And I can begin to say, these are things I want to focus on in the future and these things I don't want to do anymore. Um, I was thankful for the extra time I had to do some stuff that I put off for years. I mean, I've been on staff for 21 years and I never took a significant amount of time except for at the end to raise the support I needed for the ministry. I've done it in little uh, spurts. And through that, God provided a a very large amount of money that's really helped me. Um, This year, I'm in the black, and I can can think of other things that I'm thankful for as well. Um, But probably the biggest thing I'm thankful for, I was meeting with Eric Seberg, who we work together, we're on the same team. We were talking about this past year, and just kind of talking about how um, because of the pandemic, we finally slowed down enough to be present to one another, to see each other, and I think in this, I started to realize things that I was missing. I, I've said this before, 
Uh, many times I'm my team started a, a, a daily prayer time. We meet together for an hour. We reflect on scripture and then we pray out of it. And that has been so valuable for everyone on the team. Even people who have been on staff for over 30 years said it's one of the best things they've ever done in their 30 years on staff. I'm thinking, why did it take us so long to do this? Uh, and yet, and yet that's something that I'm really thankful for. But part of it is because We've really become present to each other. We see each other. We hear each other, right? As we see God and we hear him and he speaks to us. Uh, and I, I think that's, that I, that, that's the big thing I'm getting out of this is I was so busy before, and I think that's probably true for many of us, that we, were, we missed the important things, running from one thing to another. Um, some of the things I regret aren't stuff that's happened this year, but stuff that I missed out on the past because I was too busy. I was too occupied. There was too much going on in my life. Um, and that is something I want to take beyond COVID with me just to slow down and to focus more on my relationships with my family, my friends, and with all of you, you know, seeing you, hearing you. This is really important. I'll, I'll share more about that later, but this is a way that God created us, the way that he created us, our brains, to be able to transform us and change us comes in the context of relationships. Yeah, I think we all, maybe we all have had that desire. One thing we've missed is deeper intimacy. And I feel that sense of loss of community, even the ability to meet together on a Sunday morning. And because of that, I'm excited to say, and we'll talk about this a little more later, next Sunday, we actually are going live. If you feel comfortable and you're able to come, we'd love to see you. And we hope that not too long from now, we can all meet together without fear. Um, but, but, the, I, as I think about the call of the prophets, um, it's not just like uh, last week. Uh, Scott was talking about um, a New Testament, Jesus' prophet, right? But I think even the apostles had prophetic callings, and I see them speaking often of the same call, right? A call to be the people of God, that, that to, not just to, to know about him, but to, but to know him intimately, and to, and to live your lives like God was with you, right? Um, I think of Philippians 2.14 is what came to my mind. It's not the passage I want to focus on, but this idea. It says, it says uh, do everything without complaining or arguing, uh, arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Right? That's a call for us to be the people of God. It's a call of a prophet to us. Live, live as children of God, shining like bright lights. Um, so I, get out your Bibles, if you have it, and turn to James chapter 5. I'm just going to read verses 13 through 20 and then share some thoughts that I had on this um, and how it ties in with uh, the call of the prophets. So it's James chapter 5, starting with verse 13. If any among you, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. 
Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if you should wander from the truth and someone should bring back that person, um, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So how would you summarize this passage or what jumps out to you as we read through it? You know, in the past, I've, I've looked at this passage for individual things like why we confess to one another or, you know, how you can, why we should pray for healing for one another. But, but as I look at this passage again, I looked at it earlier this week. I saw it with a new light. I saw, oh, this is a picture of God's family. This is a picture of being lights that shine bright in the darkness. This is a picture of, of how we can help each other um, fulfill the call that God has given us to be his people. It's a picture of, of blessed community. Um, if I was to summarize this passage, I would, it could simply be put, if you need help, ask God you know, and each other, and you will be blessed. And I, I was thinking of this, it's kind of like the reciprocal of the commandment that we're given to love God and love your neighbor, right? And that's just as we're at, called to actively love God and actively love our neighbor, we too can actively seek God's love and seek our neighbor's love as well. It's not only okay to do this, this is what we're created for. Love is not meant to flow one way, right? A relationship isn't just one way, it's, it, it's both. Even as we love God and our neighbor, he loves us and they love us back. That's how it's supposed to be. And, and simply doing the things in this passage is one way where we go forward and we say, I need, I need love. I need help, right? It's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. I think the hard part about this passage when I look at it is I, rare, is I, don't, I rarely see this. I see it in our body now and again, and I really appreciate it. But even in myself, I struggle in order to ask. Yesterday, as I was struggling with what I can only describe right now as like a spiritual battle that was going on inside my head and my heart, as I was trying to write this passage, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, I need to put this passage into practice. I need to ask someone to pray for me because I'm sick. And I don't, you know, I wasn't, sick emotionally. I was struggling spiritually. I was struggling at that moment. Finally, I, I texted um, Scott and said, Scott, I'm in trouble. I, I've been trying to write this message all day. So much has happened this past week. I haven't had time and I'm trying to write this pa- and I'm stuck. I can't get anywhere. And so he said, well, Matt and Sue just stopped by. We'll pray for you. Right? A little later, Lori sat with me and prayed with me in the office. Um, and I think it was about <laughs> It's about nine o'clock that I actually began to actually thoughts begin to form. I'd had all these thoughts from before too many. I threw out a lot, but began to take some shape, but it was only in the context of healthy, loving relationships that I was able to kind of push through this, this difficult dynamic. Um, and I, and it's interesting. I've been learning this past year, um, as I've been studying uh, brain science and working with a Christian psychiatrist learning a new model of prayer ministry about healing for trauma, that our brains are made for loving relationships, right? And are only healthy when we have them, right? Healthy relationships fill us with joy. Um, and that joy is just being in the presence of someone who loves us. We know it when we're with them, right? We can see it in their eyes. They see us, they know us, they love us. That gives us joy. That's what we're talking about with joy. Um, it's something that we need and crave that our brains 
are made for. And, and, and joy is, and, um, is about being attacked and this uh, attached to others. Healthy, loving relationships attach us to others. They make us know that we are not alone, we're, or that we're not isolated, that we belong, that we're loved, that we're a family. And this brings security, stability, and health. And these things together work in order to change and develop, change who we are. They change our character. You know, so often in the past, you know, and the way we do things within the church and in our context is we, is we think that we can change character simply by listening to a message and be given, try to apply the three main points, right? Or the application for that particular day. That's not what it's about. I mean, yes, we need to know those things, but we also need to, um, we also need to experience it. Another way to, to look at it is the metaphor that Scott's been using, right? Um, uh, and uh, this idea of why relationships are so important is alone we're individual threads, right? But, but together, twisted together, we become yarn and then weave together um, or, or knit together, we become a tapestry or, or fabric or a garment, right? Something beautiful and something useful and something that blesses others. I don't know if many of you have seen, but the beautiful things that uh, uh, um, Penny Seberg or Nicole Wetzel make, the things that they've knit, or um, I know that Penny also weaves, um, beautiful garments, right? Or, or rugs or wall hangings or fabrics. And this displays in some way their, their glory, their artistry, right? And, and, and the church, we're knit together or woven together, individual strands, woven, you know, twisted together into yarns and woven together by the Lord to display his glory and his beauty. That's what this is about, right? So this is a picture. This passage is a picture of how we act out the way we were created to be dependent on God and interdependent with one another. We, it says, basically says is, if I want to fulfill the call of the prophets to be, a, to be the people of God, I can't do it alone. I need others. God's glory isn't just displayed through my individual life. God's glory is displayed through our love for one another, our ability to demonstrate that on a daily basis. And this is one of the ways that we do it. So if you're in trouble, pray to God. If happy, worship. If you're sick, ask the church to pray for you. If you sin, confess your sins to each other. Anyone can pray in faith and the Lord will hear. If a person wanders from the truth, bring them back, right? That's kind of, that's the just the practical aspects of this particular passage. And when we do this, we shine like stars. We're living as the people of God, his children, and that brings him glory on earth. And this is the context in which we're, our character has changed and developed. Not by knowing the information, but by just alone, but by experiencing it together, right? I've said this many times before, and I didn't realize why this was true until recently when I learned it's how our brain was made. In Ephesians chapter 3, where it talks about the love of God, and Paul says we want to grasp it, right? Understand it and know it intimately, that those are both parts of who we are. And they're actually how our brain is developed. The knowing part, like the grasping part is the left side of your brain, you might call it the intellectual side. And the right side, which in the past we say is the creative side, isn't the creative side. Creativity is something that happens throughout the brain. Actually, it's the relational side. It's the experiential side, right? And so you have to both know knowledge, but you have to experience it as well. You have to both know a person about a person, but you have to experience them as well. And only when you do that can you, can you fully grasp. And only when you do that in relationship is it, can your character begin to change. When you're in a loving relationship with someone else or with another group of people, 
you make choices or decisions that change and affect your character. Probably the best example I can think of this is parents who have children. They may live irresponsibly before it, but once they have kids, suddenly they're starting to make wise decisions. What happened, right? They realize that their decisions impact the children that, they, that they've had. They want their, something better for the children maybe than they had. They don't want their children to make the same stupid mistakes that they did. Right? And so what do they do? They begin to change the way they are. There's a because of that loving relationship. But the same is true in a church. When you become knit together or woven together as a, a fabric, a piece of tapestry, as you love each other, each, each, uh, each thread is changed and transformed in that relationship. You start making decisions, not just because of what's best for you, but what's best for the body as well. And that changes your character. You experience God's love in a new way in relationship with other people. And as you develop a relationship with God, that your relationship with him deepens and grows and that changes you too. So not only do you learn about his love in scripture or see it, you see it in other people's lives reflected back to you. And that changes who you are. There are two things that are needed to develop character. There are more than that. There's four, but two things I want to focus on regular experiences of joy. And again, that's when you connect with people who are happy to be with you, who see you and know you and love you as you are. They listen to you. You say, and you've seen that they don't say it necessarily, but they do like, I see you, you're important, you matter. That brings joy. That's real joy, okay? And God does that for us as well. And the second thing is healthy relational attachment, healthy love bond with God and others. Um, know, not only knowing them intimately, but recognizing that you're a part of them and they're a part of you. Like a man and a woman become one in a family too, you're of that sense. And in God's family, we recognize that we're all God's children. And that really matters. And this is a passage that encourages this, that loving relationship with God and each other that goes both ways, right? I give love, I receive it back. And in that we experience joy and a healthy relational attachment and we're changed and transformed. Our character changes so that maybe some of the areas of sin we struggle with that we confess to others to each other, God helps us and we help each other to move beyond that into something better. I was listening to a fascinating podcast the other day where they were talking about God creates and, and the only thing the devil does is he distorts. And many of the, much of the sin that we're dealing with is, is a distortion of what is good and what God wants for us. Let me use an example. Um, uh, uh, sexual promiscuity or pornography, uh, the struggle with that is really, and, and I've known guys who have experienced this before, and I've struggled with it in my life, a desire for it. And you say at one point, I just take this away from me. Take this away. I don't want this anymore. And the Lord doesn't. And you ask why? Because at its root, it's a longing and desire for intimacy. At its root, it's a longing and desire for it. And all, and all the enemy does is he's twisted it into something evil, Right. And instead, instead, what God says, I want to change that and transform that into something good. And that only happens through good relationship. Not by knowing that that's the truth, but by actually experiencing it. Moving away from what's false to what's true. And that only happens in relationship, right? So here's, here's his, let's talk about each of his points really quickly. So in verse 13, James says, if you need help, if you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, worship. And just the kind of the gist here is, um, is that, is that it's important always, like the first thing we should do is stay connected with God, right? Whether we're in, we're in good times or bad times, bad times or good times. And, and it gets easy. We turn to God when things are bad and we forget about him when things are good, right? 
We become complacent. We focus on other things instead. I was thinking about this in my own life. Just the other day, I was rejoicing because Jake got accepted to the UW. Madison, like this is fantastic. He, he's probably not as excited about the fact that I work on the same campus he'll be going, but I'm excited about that possibility. But it also means he gets a full ride scholarship because of a deal we had with the UW through a program he was in while he was in high school. Yay, we're so happy, we're joyful, but that was quickly blown away, right? Something else came up. Lori's mother has been having major health problems. She had a stroke and then fell and broke her hip. And Lori spent last week, all of last week, uh, kind of caring for her mom, trying to maintain her full-time job, trying to take care of them, and feeling uh, very worried about what was happening at home with me and my daughter, because she doesn't trust me, I guess, but that's another issue. Um, uh, anyway, so what, what was going on was um, it was stressful. I felt the stress, and I too was stressed all week long. I had meeting after meeting. Uh, the mornings were, were, and days were busy with intravarsity work, and the evenings I was having meetings mainly for the church, and I was like, I am just absolutely overwhelmed with this. And at, um, and at one point, too, uh, Adele, uh, on Friday night, Friday afternoon, actually began to uh, experience some major gut pain. And so at two uh, in the afternoon, 2.30, I took her to the ER and spent all, all day and evening with her in the ER as well. And all this time, what am I thinking? I have a message to write on Sunday and all I have are ideas. Nothing of it is pulled together. Now, I know that's my fault because I usually leave things to the last minute anyway, but it just added to my stress, right? So what happened to Jake's, the, the blessing of what happened with Jake? It was out the window as all this other stuff came flooding in, right? So I, just a great example of why we always need to be connecting with God in the good times, worshiping him, so that when in the bad times come, we're connected with him. Um, and in the bad times, connecting with him, so that in the good times, we can worship him and thank him for what he's done, always recognizing that what we need can be found in him, right? Not him alone, he provides it through other means, but, but he is the main source. Uh, yeah. So, so connect with God first, and then, the, and then it goes on in verse 14. He says, if you're sick, ask for prayer you know, from one another. Now, now, first of all, I, I believe this applies not just to physical ailments, although the healing is, a, is really refers to a physical or, he, or spiritual healing. But I believe it applies to physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual. Any aspect of you that's struggling, you can ask for prayer from others. Right? And, and, um, and I think the main reason I say that is because uh, we're holistic people. We know that our um, emotional, mental, spiritual state impacts our physical well-being, right? And the Jews were, were and are, right, holistic people. They didn't dichotomize. No, we're only going to pray about the physical right now. We're not going to worry about the mental and spiritual. That's unimportant. No, that wasn't like that. They, everything mattered, right? And so I think if you're sick for any reason, you can ask for help. If you're struggling for any reason, you can ask for help. Um, the second thing, too, I think in this passage is, although it says the elders will pray for you, and I think that's good, uh, I think anyone can pray, right? And I mean, why else? And in some cases, maybe I'm a little bit wrong about this, but it says the, the example is about the prayer, Elijah was a human being just like us. Not special. Well, he was a prophet, yes, chosen by God. But we're prophets chosen by God too, if you think of it that way. He had the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. Really? I mean, a lot, what's, what's the difference? We have a purpose and a calling, and the primary purpose and calling I think all of us have is to be a light or a witness to fulfill the call of the prophet and to be a testimony to God and the world together. So why not? We can pray for each other. 
And we can do that in faith. And we know that when we pray in faith, it's faith in Jesus. It's not about the amount of faith we have. Faith is a gift from God. Although we can pray for more, um, but it's a trusting, it's a belief, it's a confidence, it's a fidelity in the faithfulness of Jesus to hear and answer our prayers. We can pray. I can't promise you that he will always answer in the way we want and bring the kind of healing, but I think you'll be surprised that some healing happens. If it's not physical, there's always an emotional, a spiritual, right? A relational healing that can actually take place, even a mental one, even if the physical doesn't respond. And, And sometimes... And sometimes I've seen this in prayer ministry in the past, when you pray for a, a, a spiritual issue and we're back into the area of sin, which this is connected with, um, and they're healed from the sin, then the physical healing follows. I've shared this story before. Years ago, I'm in a prayer ministry training. I'm leading it. One of the other staff there, he takes the physical healing training we're doing. He goes, I need a volunteer. And, I, and he said, Peter, why don't you volunteer? I had a headache that day sits me down in a group of 30 and he says, Peter, is there any sin you need to confess to God in front of this huge group of people? My first thought was, why are you doing this to me? Really glad I didn't have some major sin that I needed to confess and was struggling with, right? But I, I didn't know, I just said, I can't think of anything. I closed my eyes, I prayed, and immediately I remembered a difficult discussion, an argument that I had with my son the night before where I was in the wrong. I re- I'd responded um, sinfully towards him and I hadn't apologized. And I confessed it there to them. Uh, I asked the Lord for forgiveness. And uh, then he prayed for my healing. And instantly my headache was gone. It was an interesting reality, right? Situation I've seen, we've seen many times when, when we do prayer or people deal with, the, deal with the sin issue, deal with the unforgiveness issue and the physical healing follows. Now that's not true in every case, but it can be true. And again, the people doing this aren't the elders of the church, but they are people filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Blessed my God. Uh, humans, just like Elijah was. Um, you know, last week I was struggling emotionally over some things and I, uh, that I was trying to discern. I asked the woman I work with who was a spiritual director if she could talk with me. Actually, I would, I would, I'm supposedly I'm over this woman. I supervise her, but you can't supervise this woman. She's, she's kind of beyond everybody and feels too... She's, I can't explain it. You know, I'm just like... Uh, she's, she's old enough to be my, almost old enough to be my mother or an aunt. And so I just really appreciate talking with her. And we prayed, we talked a bit. She listened. She gave me some thoughts. She asked me some hard questions. And then she, she prayed for me and she shared this prayer. So this is a simple prayer I had today. And I think it's for you, Peter. The prayer was, Lord, help me to enjoy the life you've given me. And it stopped me, you know, cold. I was like, oh, I'm so worried about like, other things that I'm not even able to be present in the moment to what good things that God has given me. Thankful for what I have right now. Um, and, that, and it was like that heaviness lifted off of me. I was renewed and refreshed and encouraged by this simple perspective change. And I shared that with Lori and she too was blessed by it, right? A truth spoken by the Lord through another person's voice, a prophetic word in that particular moment. You know, um, this passage refers to Elijah and the rain. If you go to the story, you recognize that in the midst of this, it didn't rain for three and a half years. No one in Elijah's time in that part of the world was doing well. Everyone was suffering. Probably many people were dying from famine. Uh, You know, as drought had set in and famine was spread throughout the land, even Elijah was surviving right by the little uh, bread that he got. 
every day from this woman. And, and it says at one point, the ravens were feeding him. He was so desperate. He was eating roadkill or animals that had deceased. You know, it was like unclean stuff, if you think about it. And yet, and at this, that he, um, there's a widow and her son, who two are really struggling. They've, they're just going to eat their last bit of food. And then they're, they say, then we're going to die. Um, and she, yet she shared with him the, the, just this meager amount. And he prayed for her, right? And they were all healed. They all lived. They survived the three and a half year famine. Miraculously, the, the flour and the oil kept replenishing itself. It's not a glamorous reality. I'm sure that they struggled. I'm sure that they never had quite enough to eat. Um, but in this reality, they experienced the, the healing of God. They experienced what it means to be a community and maybe a little bit like a family. I wonder, it never, scripture never talks about it, but what was Elijah's relationship like with that widow and her son? living together for three and a half years in the midst of struggle. Like, Lori and I have spent, we spent three years in inner city Chicago, probably one of the hardest times of our life, constant conflict in the church that we were a part of, um, brokenness, our brokenness combined with the brokenness of the pastor who was leading us, just felt like conflict after conflict. And yet we come back from that experience and that reality. And we say, for me anyway, I think of I grew more in those three years than I have in many of the rest of my life. What was it about that? my need for God, right? My, my, my seeking dependence on him. And then the others in the community that I connected with regularly shared my struggles, shared my, my frustrations and were, was prayed for um, by one another. You know, um, I'm at the ER room with Adele on Friday, Friday night and I get a text from Terry Tarot. And Terry says, just wanted to let you know I'm in the ER with Mary. She's aggravated her hip and her pain level is 10 out of 10. And so I say, well, guess what? I'm here too. And so we connected with each other at the entrance to the ER. And I prayed for Terry. And then uh, as, Terry, as, as I finished, Adele walks over. And Terry gets on his knees right in front of, a, right in front of Adele. And he grabs her hands and he prays a, 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 a Jewish blessing over her in Hebrew. And I felt like God's love, you know, in that moment. His presence. And I thought, this is what it means to be the body of Christ. You know, it's weird. You think like the, the chances that you would end up in the same place. And, and the result actually was the same. The, the ER didn't, couldn't do anything for, for Mary and didn't do anything for Adele. There wasn't any real pain relief that happened. Sent them both home still in pain. Um, and, yet, uh, and yet Adele slept well that night, I think because of Terry's prayer, to be honest. And then um, later that night, he texted me again um, uh, just to share what had happened with him. And I prayed for him as well. You know? the, uh, let me really quickly, the last part of this passage, it also encourages us to confess to one another. Uh, I, I think this is probably the hardest. It's not, easily, it's not easy to, to openly confess uh, failings to one another because of pride and because of the potential of shame. But it brings blessings to others. Let me just name some of the blessings, all right? The passage says really clearly, you know, if you, if you confess these sins to one another and they pray for you, be weighed well, right? You'll be healed. The word, again, the, the word means physical healing. In this particular, if you're, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if, you're, if you're sick, you will be forgiven. It says you'll be physically healed as well. Um, but I think even more, what it does is it helps us overcome the power of sin in our life. Things that a lot of people struggle with on their own and realize they can't do. You know, for years and years struggling with the same thing and then one day realizing, I can't do this alone, I need help. But God has always provided, which is right there in your brothers and sisters. You know, another, another advantage of this too is it helps others who, are, who may be struggling with the same things. 
to have the confidence to share and ask for help. This is probably most easily seen in the context of a traditionally what we call a revival. Oh, I think this is just one way to see a revival happen. So at Wheaton College in 95, I, I attended in 96 the next semester, so I knew all about this. At an evening chapel, two students from Howard Payne University came and shared about the revival that God was bringing to Howard Payne through a local church where a student one Sunday had gotten up to confess his sin and, and resulted in this avalanche of confessions in the church and then students from the campus coming in and, and confessing as well. And, and, uh, and again, as they were doing this, mind you, what, what's happening is they're not only being transformed, their community is being transformed more into the image of Christ, right? They're fulfilling the, the call of the prophets. And after they shared at Wheaton, this is at Wheaton on March 19th, mind you, that was almost like to the day, like 21, was that 21 years ago? Um, 26, sorry. Um, they, uh, they left a microphone on the stage, open space for people to come forward. Pretty gutsy, right? But that service that was supposed to end at 9 p.m. lasted, at six, lasted until 6 a.m. So, and then the, the quote was, this is one of the things that it said, confessions were heard throughout the night, tears, smiles, crying, singing, people confessed their sins to God and each other, and there was healing. I remember one of the prof- my professors, Lyle Dorsett, talking about the, the uh, huge pile of contraband that students brought in, stuff that they knew they weren't supposed to have that they had, whether it was pornography or alcohol or other things that they just brought and confessed and dumped on the stage that they had to throw out in huge bags, you know? Um, it, it was, it said, it goes on, it says it was biblical, it was Christian, it was orderly, it was sincere, it honored our Lord, right, it glorified him, and then at 6 a.m. we adjourned the meeting, we adjourned the meeting with the students still in line who had waited hours to share, and it went on for nights after that, for days after that. In fact, classes shut down on campus for almost a week as a result of this. Uh, I don't know today what the impact of that is. Um, you know, you, you could probably ask Matt Metzger, is he was there when that happened, uh, the pastor of Blackhawk. Uh, but there were others as well who experienced that uh, revival, um, that transformation. So it does it. And that, that one person getting up and sharing what God had done, it resp- other people were felt confidence and courage to get up and share, I'm struggling too and I need help, right? Um, I, I think that, that I wanted to share the last thing is it helps us to be known by others. It, builds true relational attachment, right? Both the things I shared, the joy that we experience by knowing that we're still accepted and loved, that we won't be rejected when we share our struggles and our pain and our failures with others. And number two, recognizing that we're not just, we're not just accepted, but we're actually a part of this family and we're attached to these people. And these are our people. These are our people. They really matter. Um, so we all know when someone shares something vulnerable with us, when it's done appropriately in the right setting, not inappropriately an oversharing kind of a thing where it makes you embarrassed, right? But that kind of appropriate in the right setting, it makes you feel closer to that person. You, there's a vulnerability that comes up with a humility that comes when they share, this is where I'm failing, I need your help. You know, here I am, my frayed edges, my secrets, my fears, my affections, right? Um, and you say, oh, I see you there, it's okay, you're safe. And here, here's me, I struggle with those things too. And you're not alone, right? And relationships will thrive as a result of this. And, and, and in that turn, we, we, we offer our presence. We also experience the presence of God together because he's there in our midst because we're there doing that in his name, right? And we, and we experience 
attachment, not just to our brothers and sisters, but to the Lord as well. And if we were cut off because of our sin, we're reattached to him. We experience his love and his affection as a result. Um, I see this all the time, uh, how God transforms difficult situations and circumstances. And you've seen it too when you prayed for people, right? Um, I was praying, we were doing prayer ministry with a woman It's a national leader in InterVarsity. I won't say her name, but she was talking about struggles with her daughter and, and, and her struggle with suicidality in the, in the, in the dark period that she went through. And all throughout this, we were, as we were praying together, listening to her, encouraging her, supporting her, she saw Jesus walking with her, telling her that you did your best. And I was there with you the whole time. Don't feel bad about this. I was there and there's good things to come in the future. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful prayer. I can't share more. I might give her away. Um, and all of this, all of this interaction with one another, all of this asking for prayer when we need it and praying for others who are in need, right? Uh, or sick, um, confessing our sins to one another and, 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 and receiving for the forgiveness of the Lord and confessing our sins back to them. All of that attaches us to them and it changes, changes who we are. It changes how we see life, how we view ourselves and, and the character that bubbles out of us. And together we become like stars, stars, right? Shining in the darkness in the midst of a perverse generation. I've spoken too long. We're going to move to Zoom after a few announcements, but let me pray really quickly, okay? And I'm just going to pray about this. I want to pray a little bit about some of the stuff that's been happening in our society I want to pray um, for peace and blessing over our Asian brothers and sisters uh, after the attack this week. Um, regardless of the motives behind it, you have to understand why they would be afraid and feel oppressed in, in the reality that we've experienced this past year, especially with hate crimes against Asian Americans going up. And so we're going to pray, Lord, we, we see this brokenness all around us in every part of our society and culture these days. And we have to, we pray for it and we want to stand against it, God, the, 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 the spiritual forkness, forces of darkness in this world. We want to do that, Lord, by supporting and praying for our brothers and sisters, right? By confessing where we've had a part in this as well and asking for your forgiveness, God, and doing whatever it is that you call us to do in this, in this new day. And God, with hate crime spiking, we, we understand why our brothers and sisters see this as attack against them. And we, we pray, God, that for, for you and your presence to come and to protect them and to comfort them and to encourage them and to bring change. Lord, forgive us for our racism, our bigotry, our prejudice against anyone who looks differently than we do, especially against Asian Americans. Lord, forgive us any ways that our church has added fuel to this hatred flame rather than condemning it and teaching our people what love truly is. We pray that you would comfort those who have lost people, family members, and friends. We pray that you would bring conviction to those who harbor hatred and prejudice against others. We pray that out of this tragedy, that good would come and true shalom, God, and it would come first in the church. We pray that the church would rise up in love to bless both, both sides. We just show us how we can respond to our Asian brothers and sisters here in Madison to stand with them and to show them that we are for them and your kingdom. Yeah. And Lord, I pray too for us that we would learn what it means to be a true body, even more than we have already, to be willing and able and, and really to humble ourselves and be vulnerable, to share when we need prayer for whatever, 
and to confess when we're struggling, whatever that might be too. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.